Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, we are so excited about this new series because I think it brings to us the beginning foundation of what it really means to begin our spiritual journey. Pastor Chris spoke last week about spiritual family. Say that, spiritual family. Well, what is spiritual family, Pastor Jacob? Well, for me, it actually was my entrance into first understanding what it was to be a Christian. When when I, I grew up, how many of you grew up in a family that did not honor Jesus, and you're pretty sure you don't want to have a family like the one you came from. Raise your hand. Okay, don't point at people. Just raise your hand. Well, when when you do that, you you want family. When when I gave my life to Christ, I went home and I told them what happened to me. My older brother, who was a drug dealer and my hero, said it won't last six weeks. Um, My mom said I liked you better when you were on drugs. And my dad and my stepmom kicked me out of the house. Welcome to Christianity. And uh, I mean, literally before that, I was being arrested. I was the worst student in class. I, was, I mean, you would think that would bring a lot of excitement. But what I discovered, though, is when I became born again and I came to the church, all of a sudden I found family. And as my life began to grow spiritually, I discovered that I had more in common and I was closer to the people that I was in church with that were spiritual family than I was my own flesh and blood. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? How many of you have spiritual family that's closer than your flesh and blood family? That spiritual family, you know who came up with that concept? Jesus. Jesus was preaching. And if you read the scripture, you understand that Jesus' siblings did not believe that he was the son of God. It wasn't until in the book of Corinthians where after the resurrection, Jesus appears to some of his family members that they actually realize who he is. And so Jesus is preaching and his mom and them came. See, Cajuns thought they invented mom and them. They came and said, Jesus, your mom and them are here. Your brothers and sisters, and they want want to see you. And Jesus stopped. Remember, there's throngs of people around him. He's healing the sick. He's teaching. He's doing miracles. And he said, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? It's the one that does the will of my father in heaven. Spiritual family are those who are serving Christ, those that you are connected to, those that you are doing life with. And this church was built on that revelation because that's what happened to me. When I came into the doors of a church, I'm 14 and a half years old. My hair's down to here. I came into a church, about 150 people. The average age was about 65, which seemed like 200 to me when I was 14. And when we came walking in, it was like adopt a Mexican hoodlum week. And these precious old Assembly of God saints, they loved them. They brought us cookies. They brought us clothes. They helped. I mean, to this day. A lot of people have been significant in helping all that God has done in our Savior's church and the ministry that was before that. But when when I moved away with my pastor from Houston to Waco, Texas, there was an elderly widow lady in our church. Her name was Sister Tweedy. Now, when I was in church, she was about 70. That seemed to me when you're 14 like someone's 500. And when she heard I started preaching in the middle of my senior year, 
I got a, I got a letter in the mail from her, and I could you barely read the writing, and it said, Dear Jacob, I heard that you're preaching. I'm so proud of you. I want to be your first supporter. It was $20. I sent it back to her. She sent it back to me. I sent it back to her. Okay, finally I kept it. So those people become family to you. Spiritual family. That's what we mean when we say spiritual family. But as you know, every family has its own uniquenesses. How many of you have relatives you can't introduce? You have to explain. Or like my people say, you have to explain them. I have to explain my cousin to you. He will grab you. Stay away from him. <laughs> Stay away from my Uncle Julio. <laughs> so when, 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 you, when you, every family has, our, our family is no different. Our family has uniquenesses. And I want to share with you, can I share with you a few of the uniquenesses of, of our family, the Arrange family? Okay, well, first of all, I want to show you our dinner table. Okay, this is our dinner table. About probably between 25 and 30 years ago when uh, the, the Harry Smith Lodge was given to us, which ultimately became the Broussard campus, we drove into St. Martinville, and on the left, right if you go into the Terrace Highway, there is an elderly gentleman that builds wooden furniture, primarily out of cypress. You get to choose the cypress, and then he makes it. So this was almost 30 years ago. So Michelle and I were driving into St. Martinville. We pulled over, and this man had, it's now a table, but it was a piece, several pieces of cypress, and Michelle had him make this table. The table weighs 700 pounds. Do you know how much he charged us for that? It's an old farm table. A dollar a pound. $700 for a 700-pound table. And so if you notice this table, it seats a lot of people because we always have a lot of people. We eat dinner almost every day at that table. Um, you notice the chairs on the left and on the right? They're, they're like wooden normal chairs, right? Okay, do you see that chair at the end? Let me show you that chair. That's the chair. Do you know whose chair that is? That's my chair. That's my chair. And guess who sits in my chair at dinner? You. Me, I do. And, and, and so, you know, we always have a lot of children and now, you know, my children are college students and engaged and just all this different, their friends and children and all of, all of this stuff. And, um, my son Haddon is back and he got engaged recently. Haddon, why don't you stand up, you and Gracie, stand up and turn around. This is his future bride. Turn around and say Hello. So sometimes I'll walk in and one of their friends will be eating and they will be like sitting at my chair. And like, I'll come walking in and the kids will look like, and they just like that, like, like that, uh, shark movie. It's like, something's going to happen. They're seated in daddy's chair. Okay. Every now and then I'll walk in there and Joseph will be seated in that chair because I'm not in the room. And I'll just walk in and I'll look at him and go, I'm getting up right now. I go, no, you can sit in that chair, son. 
I just want you to know the house payment goes with the chair. No, Dad, I'm good. No, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Now, that is, that is my chair. And one of the things about my house is I sit in my chair. Nobody else sits in my chair. Any men got chairs like that at your house? Raise your hand. The rest of you are wusses. All right, next. All right, now let me show you this next one. Here we go. This is my recliner. Do you know why it's called my recliner? You know who sits in it? Okay, and you see that cup next to it? Guess what that is? That's my cup. Let me show what that cup looks like. You say, who got you that cup? I did to build my self-esteem. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. Miss Michelle bought me that cup. Hers, mine says, good morning, handsome, and hers says, good morning, gorgeous. And so we have coffee every morning together, and so we sit. So in my house, at dinner, I sit in... And when it comes to the recliner, I sit in. And then when we go to drink coffee, I drink out of my cup. Those are just, those are some non-negotiables about the Aranza family. But there are also some non-negotiables about being in God's family. There are also some non-negotiables. I didn't, I didn't come up with the non-negotiables. Jesus did. And there are non-negotiables of what it was. A lot of people want heaven. A lot of people want the blessing of God. A lot of people want peace. A lot of people want forgiveness. A lot of people, just like a lot of people would like to live at my house. And a lot of people would like to sit at my table. And a lot of people would like to eat my food. But you have to be born into our family. And of those that are in our family, you got to obey daddy's rules. Because I I raised five boys. I I read a, a, a little uh, Instagram post somebody made, and I'll give you the Christian version of it. And it says, we now know that the beat your butt generation has done better in producing citizens than the timeout generation. <laughs> so, so, that, that's that's kind of how it is, all right? These are the non-negotiables. God's word are filled with the non-negotiables. And a lot of us would like to have, you know, buffet Christianity. You just to get to go and pick off of the buffet whatever you want, but you don't have to eat the other stuff. You don't have to get the carrots and you don't have to get the salad. You just get the desserts and the good stuff that you want. Listen to what the non-negotiables are to be a part of God's family. Remember, our series is Welcome Home, Becoming a Part of the Family. Number one, Jesus is the Lord of this family. Say that with me. Jesus is Lord. Do you know what the first message ever preached after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? When Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared for the next 40 days to different people. And when he did, the last time when he was appearing to his disciples and talking with them, he was standing and they were talking And as they were talking to him, he got taken up into heaven, just straight up into heaven. And the disciples are standing there just watching. And an angel comes and says, hey, this same Jesus who you saw go away will one day come in like manner. Jesus is going to come one day in the clouds. He's going to appear in the sky and take every one of his born again children of God away. I hope it's soon, don't you? (laughs) 
I'm going to be honest with you. My greatest fear was that would happen before I got married. I, I thought I'd be walking down the aisle like, you know, and do you take him to be, and all of a sudden, do, 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 the trumpet sound, boom, and I miss my honeymoon. It's always my greatest fear. That's true. That is a true story. So a lot of people know, how many of you are familiar with the rapture? Okay. And what's going to happen is Jesus is going to appear in the clouds and he's going to take up all of his children away. And then there's going to be seven years of hell on earth. There's going to be seven years of hell on earth. And the only way that people can actually receive Christ and be born again is to be martyred for their faith at that point. So there's a lot of different theological perspectives of, of when Christians get taken away. Some say this seven-year tribulation period that it's before. That's called pre-trib. Some say it's going to happen three and a half years in the middle of it. So mid-trib. And some that we're going to go through all of this persecution and all of this people being martyred for Christ and all of that. And, and, and that's that you go through the tribulation. Now, I'm going to tell you what I believe the Bible says. I'm going up on the first trip. I don't care when it is. How many of you going with me? Good. Those of you that stay, you can have everything I own. You'll need it. You'll need it. So here is the first message ever preached after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus when he ascended then into heaven 40 days later. Here's the first message ever preached. It was preached by the most unlikely person. Do you know who preached the first message after Jesus left? Anybody know the first message? The most unlikely person. Because a month before, you know what he did? He denied Jesus once. How would you like to stand and listen to a preacher who had just denied Jesus a month before three times? He preached the first sermon. It was pretty good because 3,000 people were born again that day. What was that sermon? Here it is. I'm going to give you the headlines of it right here. Acts 2.36. Peter speaking. Therefore, let all the house of Israel recognize beyond any doubt, or all doubt, that God has made him, speaking of Jesus, both and who made him Lord in Christ. Who made him Lord in Christ. Okay. God has made him both Lord in Christ, the, anointed, the Messiah, the anointed one. This Jesus who you crucified. And when they heard this, this is the same people that were in the crowd going, crucify him, crucify him. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart with remorse and anxiety. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, repent, change your old way of thinking, turn from your sinful ways and accept and follow Jesus as the Messiah and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, someone asked me in the last service, they said, Pastor, on the way out, they said, there's kind of confusion about should you be baptized in the name of Jesus? Jesus said baptize in the name of Jesus. Another place says in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We cover you always. We go in the name of Jesus, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We got you. I've heard people sincerely say, literally, sincerely, Pastor, Jesus is my Lord, and one day when I give every, Jesus is my Savior, and one day when I give everything, I'm going to make him my Lord. Like somehow there's baby Christianity, and then there's graduate Christianity. 
Peter tells us that God made him both Lord and Christ. In other words, you didn't make him Lord. I didn't make him Lord. God made him Lord. And if he's not your Savior, he's not your Lord. And if he's not your Lord, he's not your Savior. You can't separate Saviorhood from Lordship. Paul said it like this in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in and, and then those under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is to the glory of God the Father. God exalted him. God gave him a name above every name. And every person will one day bow. Either you will bow now and surrender to him and to his lordship and he will become your savior and lord here on earth. Or when you die and go to a Christless eternity, you will bow one day because not only will they bow on earth and they bow in heaven, one day they will bow in hell as well. Jesus Christ is lord. Pastor, what is lordship? What is lordship? I'm going to give you a great definition so that you never wonder. Lordship is giving all I know of me to all I know of God. Say that one more time. Lordship is giving all I know of me to all I know of God. Let me explain that. How many of you here um, have been married a while? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. All right. How many people have been married 30 years? Come on, 30 years. Let's see. Come on. 40. Let's get the 40s. Come on, 40. 50. 50, 50, 50. Any 60s? Anybody ever been married 60 years? Nobody. 55. 50. Who's been married 50 years? 50 years. All right, here, here. All right, where? Here, here. You're claiming people. There we go, there we go. 50 years. You've been married 50 years. Okay, give these folks a hand. You've been married 50 years. Okay. Now, I, I want to tell you, we, we, uh, there was a, there's one of our most precious couples in our church, Ed and Ann Morton. And uh, I asked Ed one time in the lobby, I said, Ed, how long have y'all been married? He goes, well, pastor. He's from Texas. He's a male pastor. He said, well, pastor. He said, uh, Ann's been married 50 years. I've been married 25 years. <laughs> and I looked at him and she goes, that's right. For the first 25 years, he was running in bar rooms. And I was home praying, and I wanted to divorce him, but God wouldn't let me divorce him. And it took 25 years, but 25 years later, he gave his life to Jesus, and he's been married now with me for the last 25. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that these couples that have been married 50 years, some 40 years, do you think they have a little different experience of what it means to give themselves to each other? than Gracie and Haddon, who are just beginning that journey? Yeah. Now, I, I married Michelle when she was 18. That's a little old in Lafayette not to be married back in that day. They're usually married by 14 then, but she went to 18. And she was 18, and, and, and I was 23. Okay, she graduated from high school a year early and went to a year of Bible college and came back and proposed to me, and I just submitted my body to her as a humble sacrifice before the Lord. She can give her version of the story next week. <laughs> but, but when we were married, I remember her looking at her sister, Josette, who's now in heaven, 
in saying this. Ladies, you're going to love this. She said, do you know what I love about being married? Josette said, what? She goes, you don't even have to order off of the menu. He orders for you. We've come a long ways from this morning when I got dressed in my closet and I came walking out and I said, how does this look? She said, you're not wearing that. Go back in the closet and that goes tired. I don't care how expensive it is. I don't like that. I just turned back around. <laughs> how about now? Okay. So I remember when my children were kids and they did come in, you know, five boys and they go, Daddy, Mama said I can't wear my pants jacket like this and I can't do that. What do you do? I go, listen, if you think that you're going to be able to tell her how you can dress, I can't even tell her I can dress. Put your drawers on and your socks and sit on the bed and figure out what you're going to wear just like me when she tells you. Do do you know what happens in marriage? What happens in marriage is you die to yourself so your marriage can live. You know what a good marriage is? Two people that are real good at dying to their preferences to live for the preferences of another. That's what they are. That's what they are. It's dying to yourself so that your marriage can live. If you're struggling in your marriage today, it's because one or both of you refuses to die to your pride and your selfishness so that your marriage can live. Your marriage can only live in ground that is fertilized by self-sacrifice and self-denial, just like your Christian life. You say, Pastor, does that, are you sure that works? Well, it's worked for 40 years and about 107 days. I know it's worked that long. You must die to your, who said that? Jesus, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He gave himself by dying. Let let me give you another illustration I think that will help you. I have a a large library. Imagine that Pastor Chris came over to my house and he said, Pastor, he said, I I see that Bible that you have there. Would you give that to me? And I have a number of Bibles I've had since I was 19 and some have pages that fall out. And so, he said, could I have that Bible? And I said, well, sure, Pastor Chris. And, and then I, I gave him that Bible. And then two weeks later, I'm going through my library, and I see two pages that have fallen out of it. And I call him and go, Pastor Chris, I, I thought I gave you all of the book, but I just found a couple of more pages. A week later, I'm going through the library again, and I see another page. And I call him and say, hey, Pastor Chris, I, I, I thought that I gave you all of the book, but, but I found a few more pages. Growing in lordship is giving all you know of you to all you know of God. And God is so merciful that it doesn't show you everything you need to change at one time because you wouldn't go to church, you'd kill yourself. And as you go through the journey of life, okay, and you're driving, and all of a sudden some of your old stuff comes up in the trunk, some of the stuff's trying to jump out of the trunk, old girlfriends and old boyfriends and other things. And you have to stop and pull over the side of the road. And God goes, okay, now it's time to deal with your pride. Okay, now it's time to deal with your language. Okay, now it's it's giving all you know of you to all you know of God. And I've been a Christian 49 years. It's still happening today. That's what lordship is. But it began by me in the beginning saying, Jesus, I give everything to you. You are the Lord of it all. 
If Jesus is not Lord of all in your life, he's not Lord at all in your life. We're not used to that term, but, but, but in Europe, a Lord meant someone who was a ruler over a region. They had absolute say, absolute authority. You might know a girlfriend that'll let you move in without full commitment. You might know a boss that will give you a cash advance without you working. But God is not either of them. If you want his all, he gave his all on the cross, and he will settle for nothing less than you giving your all. Here's the second uniqueness of the family. Father God is in charge of the checkbook. Now, I travel 15 to 25 days a month for the first 20 years of our marriage. And so Michelle handles our finances. She always has. So, but when it comes to decisions, big decisions, unless it involves Joseph, it comes to me. There's the Joseph exclusion rule. Why do we get that? Joseph wanted it, baby. Okay. But we are, we, we come, listen, submission doesn't mean that men are smarter than, than women. Everybody knows women are smarter than men. You say, Pastor, then why does God ask a, a woman to, to, to submit if, if, if women are smarter? <laughs> because you need to be smart enough to choose what idiot you're going to have to surrender to for the rest of your life. <laughs> so listen carefully. So if there is a tie, my voice is the decision breaker. That's what that means. Somebody has to have the final word. Okay? God ordained men to be the heads of their home. Let me say it one more time. God ordained men to be the heads of their home. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, who ate first? Who did God call out first? Adam, what did you do with the family I put you in charge of? He didn't call Eve. He called Adam. So Jesus is Lord. That's the first part to being a part of this family. Here's the second one. Father God is in charge of the checkbook. Now, this is really interesting. It's really interesting because we come into the world with nothing, but along the way, we start gravitating to things. And then things start gravitating to us. And it's amazing. I could come and say, I'm going to give a million dollars to somebody 15 years old. They'd buy something different than somebody 25 years old. They'd buy, and then you get 10, 50-year-old people a million dollars, and they'd all buy different things. You and I have a propensity to be attached to things that are temporary here on earth. Listen to what Jesus said in addressing this. No one can serve two masters. Now remember, Jesus taught this during a time of slavery. He's saying, there's no one that owns, that's owned by two different masters. You either own by one or you're owned by the other. No one can serve two masters for he, he will either, what? Hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and, and then he brings this conclusion. You cannot serve and which is money, possessions, fame, status, or whatever is valued more than the Lord. So what is mammon? Mammon was a god of wealth. And people would sacrifice to mammon 
to gain wealth. If you wanted to get rich, you sacrificed to mammon. Now watch this. How do we keep from that happening? How many of you here have been broke before? How many of you had a little money before? How many have been very blessed before? How many of you like being blessed more than broke? Do you know what the two tests of character are? Prosperity and adversity. Most people handle adversity much better than they do prosperity. Let me ask you a question. When do you pray more? When do you pray more? Most people that walk into this church for the first time that I haven't seen in a while, they go, Pastor, I had not been here in a while, but man, thanks for a bit of trouble. I knew I had to come to church. Wouldn't it be great if God was your first response to be grateful to instead of the first one you turned to when you finally tried everything else and so you finally went back to the only person that really was there from the very beginning? How does God keep things from being attached to us? Things from being attached to us. That's the way we are. I was born very poor growing up. When we got married... Michelle will tell you this. These are just habits of poor people. When I would started flying around speaking, they'd give you free stuff on the plane. I'm like, free stuff on the plane. I would bring every free cookie, cracker. You know, could have had two crackers. I mean, everything. I just, I never had anything. So I wanted, when I went into hotels, I'd get all the shampoos. The, I mean, I mean, literally, I would have just globs of shampoo. She go, why did you get this? I mean, it was free. It was free. And I would just gather it all, and she literally would come about once a year, just... (laughs) that, That was the way that I was raised. Things, when you haven't had anything, have a way of gravitating to you and sticking to you in an unhealthy way. And all of a sudden, you don't have them, they have you. You don't possess money, it possesses you. You don't have things, they have you. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Because you lay in bed going, I wonder how my, oh, I wonder how my RA is going. Stock market's down. I wonder how crypto is. Man, I'll tell you, interest rates are growing up. What's going on? I don't know. <laughs> And what was a blessing to you is now a burden to you. You don't own it. It now owns you. God has something that keeps that from happening for us. What is it, Pastor? It's called tithing. Recognizing who it's from and who it really belongs to. Malachi 3.10 says this. Bring all the tithes. That's how much? A tenth into the storehouse, so there may be food in my house. And then look what this says. Test me now in this. The only time God says you can test him is with tithing. In other words, try tithing and see what happens. See if I won't come through. Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour out for you such a blessing so great there's not room enough to receive it, then I will rebuke the devourer the insects, the plagues for your sake, and he will not destroy the fruits of your ground, nor will your vines of the field drop its grapes before the harvest, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I want to illustrate this in a very simple way. Okay? Could somebody give me, would you please give me, I won't give it back to you, $100. Y'all just witnessed a miracle. 
Joseph Aranza giving his daddy a $100 bill. Hope this is on video screen. Isn't that amazing that he had $100? Do you know why he so freely gave me this $100? Because I gave it to him right during worship. You know why? Because you freely give back what you do not believe belongs to you, but to someone else. But if you believe that what you have is yours, then this is the way you hold on to it. And I want to remind you of what Corey Ten Boom said. She said, I try not to hold anything onto anything too tightly because when I do, it hurts too much when my father has to pry it out of my hand. Tithing is God's way. And, and listen, you say, Pastor, is the church in financial troubles? Look at me. We're doing amazing. You could not give for months, and our church is doing great because of the wise stewardship that we've attempted to operate in with the stewardship that you've entrusted to us of God's resources. But you won't be fine. You'll still be laying in bed going, If God gave it to you, then the only one that can take it away from you is God himself. Number three, third absolute, his word is the final authority. God's word is the final authority on all issues that it speaks to. What it says about marriage, what it says about divorce, what it says about money, what it says about sex, what it says about forgiveness, what it says about parenting. Do you know why I spanked my children? Number one, they needed it. Okay, they needed it. You know, there are people, how many of you know, how many remember when timeout came in? You, you know who's in timeout now? The parents. They lock their kids in their room and go, I'm just hiding here where I can get some peace. Look, look, look right here. Do you know why I spank my children? It's very simple. I just never considered myself to be smarter than God. He said, if you spare the rod. So if you think that you can spare the rod and a child's not spoiled, you're just smarter than God. I got one thing to ask you. How's it working for you? How's that working for you? I've never considered myself to be smarter than God. Spanking by virtue of its very nature is to put some temporary small pain on you now to keep you from a whole lot of long-term pain later. Can I tell you this? You may not give your children consequences for their choices, but God and the rest of the world will. God and the rest of the world will. God's word is the final authority. I know there's some of you here, you go, Pastor, you know, my child walked into homosexuality or they're confused about their identity or they did something and living with somebody. Look at me. I, I, I'm, my heart goes out to you. I'm sorry. I truly am. All my children, except Jacob Jr. who's halfway back, are serving the Lord, most all of them but one preaching the gospel. It hasn't been easy. We walk through hell at times. But God's word remained true even if they weren't living it. 
That's why they had something to come back to. Do you recognize that? That if you hold up God's word in the end, there's something for them to come back to. If you don't hold up God's word, there's nothing for them to come back to. I'm sorry for those of you who have children that are are living ways that, that are against God's word. God's still right and his word is still right and they're still wrong. People are foolish enough on Facebook or sometimes the newspaper, different places will call and go, Pastor, what do you think about homosexuality? We would like to know your opinion on the transgender, new transfixiation of old little... I don't have an opinion. God's word is all that matters. And when I stand on God's word, what I say is lasting and eternal. And when I move off of it, I am irrelevant because heaven and earth will pass away. But God's word will never, ever, 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 ever pass away. Never. Here's the final one. Number four. The fourth uniqueness to get into God's family is the cross is the only way into the family. The cross is the only way into the family. Listen to the words of Jesus as crowds began to follow him and everybody wanted to be a part of the water into wine thing. Everybody wanted the happy meal that fed all of a sudden 5,000. And listen to what Jesus said to the crowds that followed him. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my can, should, it'd be good if they, what, must deny themselves. Why? Because until you deny yourself, there's something inside of you and me every day that's selfish that needs to be brought to the cross. Every day. Every day there's stuff inside Pastor Jacob that needs to go to the cross of Jesus. There's lust that needs to be crucified. There's pride that needs to be crucified. There's things that need to be cleansed out of my heart every single day. Every day. I must deny myself and take up their cross. Then, you know why? Because until you start denying yourself, you're going to be following you and everything that's in your heart that you want to do. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. You'll lose it if you do your own thing, if you follow your plan. If you do the good old American dream, you can be anything you want to be. That is a lie from hell. I wanted to be in the NFL. I was slower than the water girl. If you're five foot three, you'll never be in the NBA. Let me be the first one to break your heart. Get over it. Okay. Whoever loses his life for me will what? Remember that because I'm going to come back to that. It's very powerful. What good is it if someone gains the whole world yet forfeits their soul? Or what can someone give in exchange for their soul? Let me, let me, give, you, let me give you a scripture that I want you to think about. It's not up here. The scripture says this. It's Ephesians 2.10. It says... You are God's workmanship. He created you and recreated you to do good things which he prepared in advance for you to do. It took me a while to figure this out, but I've recently figured it out. How many of you know what it means to drop a pen? Okay. 
How many of you now know what it means to put, put somebody's address in your phone and you push it in, it'll guide you and direct you there? Okay, God has a divine GPS plan for every person in this room. You know when you find it? When you surrender yours at the cross. When you lay down yours, God drops his divine address of what he created you to do and to be into your heart. It's surrender. It's going to that cross and doing exactly what he did, denying yourself, laying it down. And then he gives you and downloads his plan and purpose for your life. You say, Pastor, are you afraid when you do that? Yeah, I am. But I have a greater fear. What happens if I don't? What happens if I don't? I'm afraid for the first one. I'm more afraid for the second one. What happens if I really was supposed to make an eternal difference? What happened if I really was supposed to be a part of changing part of the world? Is the world a mess? Does it need people that are God's answer in every realm of life, from medicine to law to every business to every sphere of life? Answer. Someone said, whenever you see a place where there's a problem, where there's sin that's thriving, when there's heart that's being broken, when there's evil, it's not because God hasn't called people to go and to be the solution. It's that people have not answered. They've not answered. What if God had a great plan for your life and you settled for yours instead? Let me close with a story to illustrate this. Uh, Rick Bezet lives in Arkansas. He's the pastor of the largest church in Arkansas, about 20-something thousand people meeting at about 18 different locations today. He's a graduate of LSU. When I met Pastor Rick, he was a youth pastor at Bethany in Baton Rouge, a church that I'm blessed to be one of the overseers of. His dream was to be a professional golfer. What he loved. And so when he received his call to ministry, when he was at LSU, he he gave up that dream. Stepped off the semi-pro tour and, and then started pursuing getting equipped for ministry at Bethany in Baton Rouge. On Mondays was his day off, and so he would feed his passion and just go play golf, and he'd go and find somebody that needed a fourth player and ask if he could join them. So this particular Monday he went, there was three high-level businessmen, and they, they needed somebody else, and so he joined them. As they went through, he was playing amazing, and they were just amazed at what a great golfer he was, but... There was an older gentleman, a little bigger, that every time he hit a bad shot, he would take God's name in vain. Ever been around people like that? And Pastor Rick said by the time that they'd gone about seven or eight holes, he was just like, he just said to himself, this guy doesn't know I'm a pastor. He doesn't know I'm a Christian. And if he takes God's name in vain one more time, I'm going to tell him. I'm going to just tell him, please stop, please. Sure enough, guy made a bad shot, same thing. Pastor Rick looked at him, young guy, 19, 20 years old. He said, sir, he said, I, I, I'm sorry. He said, I, I, I know you don't know me. And I didn't tell y'all, but, but I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a youth pastor. And, and 
I was going to be a semi-pro golfer and I gave it up to follow my passion in ministry because that's what God wanted me to do. And Sir, please don't take God's name in vain. Every time you do that, it just, it just hurts my heart. He said, the man looked at him very soberly, stopped, didn't say anything through the rest of the whole golf match. Finally, after the 18th hole, not a lot of conversation happened. Pastor Rick grabbed all of his golf clubs in his bag and he was starting to walk away. And the older gentleman said, hey, son, come here. And he went, oh, no, here, here it comes. Here it comes. He pulled him off the side from the men that he was with and he put both of his hands on his shoulders and he said, son, did you say you're a pastor? He said, yes, sir. He said, you said you're called to ministry. He said, yes, sir. He said, I was just like you when I was your age. And I walked away from it. Don't ever walk away from what God has for your life, son. Don't ever walk away from it. Today, as you surrender your life at the cross of Jesus Christ, it is only then in absolute surrender that you lay down your plan and God begins to download his purpose for your life. It's only there. Christianity is not a self-improvement program. It isn't a place to get your marriage better. It isn't a place to get your kids better. It isn't a new way of thinking. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ where the owner of the world and of your life reclaims you as his own to fulfill the purpose for which he created you from from the very beginning before saying, sin, Satan, the devil, and all of the scars of all of our lives affected us. many of you were born again in this church? Raise your hand if you've been born again. Look, look at all the people born again in this church. Okay. All over. Are you glad your pastor obeyed the Lord? Are you glad Sister Tweety wrote those checks? Are you glad that when I was 19 years old, my pastor said, go to Northside High School in Lafayette. They're having a race rise between the blacks and the whites. I told him, you're a Mexican, you can help them. That was my apostolic mandate. But you know what? It was the divine GPS. I didn't know when I came to Lafayette, my wife would be here. I didn't know the church would be here. I didn't know all of the things that God has done. And look at me. It's a pitiful example. It's just me. But what about you? What about you? What about you? What about you? Someone said the tragedy is not that some people die. It's that some people never lived. When you surrender your life to God, I promise you, you will be anything but bored. You'll be scared. You'll be broke. You'll be blessed. You'll be terrified. You'll be glorified. You'll be miserable and you'll be wonderful. But it will be a dream that the stories will be written in books just like this. Father, today I thank you. Thank you for the cross where you gave your all, Jesus, and you will accept nothing less from us nothing we thank you for the power of your word it's unchanging it's eternal 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but it will never pass away. I thank you, Father, for your Lordship. Your Lordship, that you're Lord. That you don't want us to live miserable with mammon controlling our lives. It's not about the church wanting our money. It's about you wanting our heart. Today, I pray that by your word, you've spoken, challenged, encouraged each of us today. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. Every person here has been born spiritually dead. I was born spiritually dead. Mother Teresa was born spiritually dead. Billy Graham was born spiritually dead. And you were born spiritually dead. That's why the first requirement is to repent, turn to Christ, and be born again. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, how can I do that? It's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. He died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. And C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin today through repentance to be born again. That's called confirmation. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I've never prayed to be born again in my life. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But I've never prayed to be born again. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, God brought you here. Two, nothing is ever an accident. Every single circumstance, God has brought you to where you are right now for this reason. And now's your time to be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born, to begin your spiritual journey. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high. Pastor, pray for me. Yes, one, two, three, anywhere else? Four, five, anywhere else? Six, seven, eight, anywhere else? Anywhere else? Okay. Then you can put your hands down. Last 10 seconds, Pastor. I didn't raise my hand with these eight, but, but, but I need to. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. I need God. I need to turn to him. I need to repent. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. If that's you, raise your hand and wave it at me. Just wave it at me. I want you to join these eight. Wave it at me. Nine. Ten. All right. Eleven. Now, church, let's pray out loud. Those of you that raised your hand, we're going to join you in praying out loud for you to be born again. Let's pray, church. Dear Lord Jesus. I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen.